I think entrepreneurs think that I'm the only one making these mistakes. I'm the only one struggling with these things inside of my business, but we all struggle and you can only learn through those experiences, through those failures, and that's how we get better and that's how we improve. And when you compound that over years and decades, then you finally start feeling like, hey, I'm doing a decent job at being the CEO or the leader of my business. But Not people who are saying we're smarter than you guys or better than you, just maybe more experience. Maybe we've just made more mistakes. Maybe we've got these lessons and experiences that we just wanna pass down to you because we've been in the game longer. And maybe we're, we've been in the same amount of time, or you know, who knows? There's just things that we wanna pass on to you guys, hoping they'll be golden nuggets because our goal is to just bring value and to shortcut the learning curve for you. Like if it took me a year to learn something and I can help you change that in a week or a month, then this podcast was a success. And that's what we're here to do, to help more fitness empires show up around the globe and create more hope for the fitness industry and change it to a better place for everybody that's involved, the clients, the gym owners, the team members, everybody. Welcome to the Fitness Empire Podcast, where we show gym owners how to dominate their competition and build a massively profitable fitness business. Dustin and Matt collectively own 12 gyms and have a combined 30 years of experience in the fitness industry. They're here to help gym owners create an empire of impact and income. Hey guys, welcome to the first episode of the Empire Fitness Podcast, and I am super excited for this. This is something that I know is going to change a lot of lives, and the beauty is that I know I have some extra firepower by my side. So if you guys don't know me, I am your host, one of your hosts, as I should say, your co-host, Dustin Bogle, and I am going to be helping you guys to grow your business, but I'm not going to be doing it alone. I'm going to be doing it with my co-host, and that is Matt Wilbur. And so I'm going to let him introduce himself here in a sec. But I want to share with you guys a little bit about us and our collective knowledge. And that is that we combined own 12 gyms. All right. So we're not a one-off gym owner that has just made one successful gym. We're both multi-location gym owners. And we've been doing it for years. And we're both completely removed from the day-to-day -day operation. So that's why we felt like we bring something unique and special to the table here we also have a 30-year combined experience, okay, between the both of us. And so we're hoping that that is not here to impress you. We're here to share that with you because we want to help you to know that we have the in the trenches experience that you, our listeners, which we want to be really speaking to fellow gym owners, to just let you know that we are one of you. We're not speaking from theory. We haven't been removed from the fitness world for decades. We're actually in the trenches with you now and doing it in a big way. And we want to create this podcast to help you to grow into the empire that you probably have in your mind. We want to make that empire switch from being a dream to reality. So just to share with you guys our mission for this podcast, it's to help gym owners to create an empire of impact and income without being in the trenches. We want to transition you to being the CEO. So Matt, you excited to do this, man? You ready to help gym owners grow? And I'm super pumped up. This is the, the podcast that I wish we had access to coming up in the fitness industry. Everything was just about marketing tactics, but really long-term, how do you stay in this game long-term and have the biggest impact and impact on people's lives? And that is transitioning 
from being in the trenches, transitioning from being that trainer to being able to become that CEO and be a high level CEO so that you can have the greatest impact on your community. And that's what this is all about. I'm super excited to be on this journey with you, Dustin. Yeah, let's do it, man. I'm excited, man. And so guys, we are going to be doing this. We're going to be helping you. Our goal is to help you build a business where you become known in the area as the transformation king or queen, but you are not having to do everything. You're going to be building an empire that is going to be making a massive impact. And then again, for you, allowing you to have a great income, which is why we start businesses. It's for both. And so that's what we want to build this thing off of. That's the foundation that we're going to build this kingdom on. So what we wanted to start off today is coming from our humble side and actually sharing with you guys what are our past experiences that did not play out for us, our failures. But I want to put this caveat in, in your guys' mind that a failure anytime is a learning lesson if you have that lens. If you look at it as that didn't work and you just throw in the towel, it is a failure. But if you just see it as I just learned what not to do, that got me closer to learn what to do, then it's a learning lesson. And so I know I have my fair share and I know, Matt, you probably have as well. So we actually probably had the hardest time was distilling it down to only five each. And that's what we want to share with everybody today. So I guess before we dive into it, I wanted to ask, Matt, when you were like coming up with your list, did you see like a theme in any one area of the business? Uh, was there one that like a, a cluster of them came from one area or was there like an even spread that it was in a lot of different areas? Well, everything relates back to people in, in some capacity. We are in the people business and working with people and there is no blueprint to going from being in the trenches, being a coach, working with people to then making that transition to, to leading and managing people. And for me, it's a lot more, it wasn't the leadership side of people, it's the management side of people. And how do we manage people on a day-to-day -day basis to be able to create the states that they need to be in to be able to deliver the product from our clients to our team. So for me, everything relates back to people and every mistake that I've made in business that has had the most detrimental effect on my business, short-term and long-term, all relates back to people. So my big five all relates back to how do we lead and manage people and, and some of the mistakes that I made and why I made those mistakes. And I know people will be able to relate because me and you have worked with hundreds of fitness business owners, and these are common mistakes that, that everyone makes. And I think entrepreneurs think that I'm the only one making these mistakes. I'm the only one struggling with these things inside of my business, but we all struggle and you can only learn through those experiences, through those failures. And that's how we get better. And that's how we improve. And when you compound that over years and decades, then you finally start feeling like, hey, I'm doing a decent job at being the CEO or the leader of my business. But I still make mistakes every single day. I'm still challenged every single day. I'm just in a better mental mindset than I used to be, uh, say, a decade ago when I started off on this journey. Love it. And and yeah, so guys, again, um, me and Matt, we've known each other for a while now, over you know 10 years. And so it's one of those things that we, we've definitely swapped notes. We, we've, we've had calls, we've had mentoring sessions, we've shared you know what we're winning with and what we're feeling with. And so basically this podcast is us just doing it live with you guys. Instead of me and Matt just hopping on a call and talking, we're going to talk and you guys get to listen in and be a fly on the wall. And then hear 
who, you know, again, not people who are saying we're smarter than you guys or better than you, just maybe more experience. Maybe we've just made more mistakes. Maybe we, we've, you know, again, got these lessons and experiences that we just want to pass down to you because we've been in the game longer. And maybe we're, we've been in the same amount of time, but maybe we've opened more gyms or, you know, who knows? There's just things that we want to pass on to you guys, hoping they'll be golden nuggets because our goal is to just bring value and to shortcut the learning curve for you. Like if it took me a year to learn something and I can help you change that in a week or a month, then this podcast was a success and we did our, we made impact, right? And that's what we're here to do, to help more fitness empires show up around the globe. And it's because me and Matt ha have a shared uh, mission, which is to help to reverse the way that our country's going with the obesity epidemic. We're on track to be in 2030, our population being 50% in the obese category. And remember, there's the overweight category and then obese category. So that's staggering that 50% will be considered obese by the year 2030 if the trend continues. So we have to reverse the trend. We have to start going backwards with the health of our country. And that's the whole reason for our businesses and the reason we choose to be in the fitness industry and choose to want to help you guys too because we need to we need to reverse these these numbers, right, man? That's like what we're here to do. Hundred percent. And if you look at the the downstream effects, so yeah, that's the adult numbers, right? But what's the effects down on the kids and the children? Because let's face it, when you live in an obese environment, the likelihood of you becoming obese is very high. So if both of your parents are obese, you as a child are eighty percent likely to become obese. And then we know the downstream effects on on mental health and the long-term effects of being overweight, right? One of the reasons why I know that is because I grew up as an overweight kid. I grew up in a bad environment from a health perspective. And I know the effects that it had on me growing up. So it's not even just about getting adult, adults healthy, fit, and happy. It's about when the adults are healthy and fit, the impact on, on their kids is absolutely massive. But it all starts with the fitness business owner being healthy, right? You being a healthy leader, you creating a healthy environment. So in many ways, this is us giving back to the industry because I truly believe, and I know you believe as personal trainers, as fitness business owners, we have the most important job in the entire world. And I know when you become better at your job, the impact that you're going to have on people's lives is going to be massive. And together we can change communities and that's really at the heart of what we're trying to do uh, with this podcast. Yeah. So guys, we, we we titled this first episode of New Hope because that's what we bring. We need to bring hope to our country and don't think that, you know, war only exists off of our soil. This is a war here on American soil. Honestly, it's a global thing. It's not even just America, but we are at war. And the way we see it is that gyms are forward operating bases in that war. You, the gym owner, are the general and the coaches are the frontline troops fighting that war every single day. So we are at war on our own home turf to change this. And that's what we're here to make a big change in. So, Matt, let's dive into these five lessons, man. I'm going to kick things off with one of mine and then we'll let you go with one of yours and we'll kind of keep going back and forth. So, um, the first one that I want to hit is because I think this is going to sting a lot of people. And it was a major wake up call for me. Big theme that exists in our industry. And that is chasing more leads. All right. That that is the number one thing. I think a lot of gym owners think if this one thing changes, everything changes for my business and I am better off for it. And, uh, you know, we're just going to grow to crazy high levels because 
We are going to just have so many leads. I won't, I won't need to worry about money. Money won't be a problem. Our sessions will be full. And here's what I've discovered is the truth and the, and the learning lesson from it is that there were times that I actually had like really gotten good at marketing and I was getting the leads and we were getting lots of people in, but I took my eye off of quality control on the sessions. And so what happened is I then burned my leads because I brought them through a crappy experience. And so they didn't get the check-in messages they should have. The coach wasn't initiating some conversation. They would kind of just BS and go check their phone or go, you know, reset the equipment or go hide in an office and just like completely like avoid them. You know, things that again, with multi-location gym owner problems, because if you're one and you're on site, you can spot it and address it. Well, what do you do when you got three? What do you got to do when you got five? Uh, you have to, you know, amplify and duplicate leadership. And so, you know, that's something we'll get into later on. But my first one is thinking more leads, more trials, more people through the door is what I need. But if your experience sucks, you're going to burn your goodwill with the market. And you're going to have all these people come through that now will be doing reverse word of mouth, telling people not to work with you to stay away from that. I went there it was no good. It wasn't, you know, it was nothing special. And so this could completely have the opposite effect. It can reduce your business. You got people canceling, not converting, and you know, doing again reverse word of mouth. So that was a big learning lesson. It was like actually having the ability to control myself and to say, hey, let, let me get my experience really dialed in. Then I'll go nuts with marketing. Once I learned that skill, it was like a switch I could turn on and turn off when I needed it, but I had to make sure my house was in order before I invited the guests over, right? So like, that's exactly a big learning lesson that took me way too long. So guys, again, I'm passing it on to you because I don't want you to have to struggle with that one for very long. That's a massive lesson. I've seen that massively over the last decade with a lot of people that they hire the latest and greatest marketing scheme or scam, and they don't have a great product. And then really all they're doing is accelerating the rate of going out of business because they are pushing so many people through their doors and, and operationally, they're not ready. And I truly be, believe the best marketing tactic is to have the best product in town and then marketing gets a lot easier, right? Um, but 100%, like, don't be trying to push hundreds of people through your door unless you can give them a great experience because your reputation is ultimately how people feel about you. So keep that in mind with everything that you do. It's all about how do people feel about you and, and make sure that you're ready to give a great experience to those people. Dustin is the king of one-liners. So I tried to add a few one-liners here. And, and just so you all know, me and Dustin did not talk about what are, our five are going to be. And, oh. and hopefully we don't have uh, the same ones. And, and maybe we do. Uh, but I, I created a few extra just in case because typically me and Dustin are in the same... Uh, wavelength when we think through these things. So the one that I have today is the quality of the people that you hire equals the quality of your life and your business. 80% of the success that you're going to have in your business is the people you let through your door. And one of the biggest mistakes that I used to make was I used to sell people on why they should come work for us. Like an interview was me selling them on how great it was going to be when you came and worked for us. And ultimately, what you should be doing when you're hiring people is looking for the red flags of why you shouldn't hire that person. If you get any inkling, any gut feeling that this person might not be the right fit, you need to move on. No matter how much you need to get another coach, no matter how much pain you're currently in with not having that position filled, 
you need to make sure that you are pushing anybody away that could potentially be a liability. You are looking for the liabilities because those liabilities will come to light and they will create a toxic culture inside of your organization and you will regret the day that you hired that person. If you have to have conversations of trying to convince yourself to hire somebody, that is that is that needs to be the trigger of this is not the right fit. If you have to convince yourself somebody is the right fit, they are not a right fit. I have found that either they're a hell yes or they're a hell no, right? Like do not go against your gut feeling. Every time I've gone against my gut feeling or I go, this person's either going to be a home run or a hot mess. They've always been a hot mess. They have never been a home run. Yes. So listen to your gut. 80% of your success is who you went in through the front door. And a big test of that too is, do you like this person? There's been so many people that I've hired because they can do the job. They'll be great at it. Clients love them, but me and that person don't share the same values. Now you're coming to work and you're not looking forward to working with your teammates. And so much of success long-term in this business is state management. And if you're working with people that give you negative energy that you don't enjoy being around, Good luck creating an amazing culture. Good luck of you being inspired and excited every single day. So on top of everything that I just shared, make sure also that you actually like this person. Could you hang out with this person outside of work? Do you get along with this person? Do you have shared values, shared beliefs? Because believe me, if you work with somebody long enough, they matter. So that is my first tip for for everyone. Biggest mistake is hiring the wrong people. Huge. And I, I heard it recently that businesses don't have problems. The people in the business reflect the problems, right? And so uh, essentially what that you're saying there is like the owner, you, you know, your energy, your happiness, your joy, like the way you show up trickles to your team, which trickles to your clients. So we got to protect you. You're you're like our A player. You're, you're the all-star quarterback. So I love that you're giving people permission because I think they also might feel guilty about putting themselves first. But then it's the same thing you tell your clients like, hey, put yourself first. You know, the whole oxygen mask analogy, you know, business owners, gym owners, you guys got to put yourself first, too. Right. For that long term, because you're the one that's going to be here for the long haul. So, like, we got to take care of you. I, I like that. And we, we kind of stated this at the beginning, but in order to have a healthy business, you first must be healthy. Right. You as the leader must be healthy. If you are dragging and you're not excited, you need to be the chief energy officer for your entire organization. Take care of yourself first. And when you take care of yourself, you take care of your state and manifests across your business. I've had it both ways where I've had some not so great teams. I've had it where employees have started getting toxic and then it starts manifesting into my state and how I'm showing up. And then I've had the opposite where like having the right people around you, people that you love going to work with, love you know, going to battle with because that's what you're doing. And it just massively changes your energy. So it is very selfless to make sure that you're taking care of and you're hiring the right people around you so that you can show up the way that you need to show up and have the impact that you want to have on people's lives. Love it. All right. Well, I'm going to go to my second one here, Matt. And that is making the mistake of not duplicating leaders. That was something when I went to six gyms at one point, was I thought it was as simple as equipment and putting some coaches through the door and just signing the lease and off and go find, you know, the next building and move on and go, you know, go, go, go. 
And, uh, and I broke my business. I broke myself. I, and I broke my systems because I didn't think that that was a requirement was that I need a leader. And so I'm the type of guy that unfortunately I learned from touching the fire. You could tell me it's hot. Don't do that. Don't do that. And I just got to touch. I got to find out for myself. And I had heard that, you know, again, you got to have leaders, you got to duplicate the culture. You got to have somebody that's going to be there as an extension of you. But I thought, well, if the coaches are awesome, everything will just work out. And it was a huge mistake. And I didn't have somebody that was, you know, learning at maybe one of the existing locations that were tenored and had good culture and then duplicating those those culture habits into them, knowing that now you're going to go run the next one. You know, I just hired 100 percent cold in the next city. And that's what's challenging when you open a location far away. All my locations were 30 to 45 minutes, sometimes 90 minutes away from each other. It's a tough ask to get somebody to move from, you know, one city to 90 minutes over because you want to open a gym. And so that was a struggle for me. And a learning lesson was that, hey, single location owners, you're crushing it. You think, you know, the next thing for you is open location number two or three, whatever you're at. I would, number one, first tell you, maximize the hell out of location number one. Make sure it is running like a hummingbird, but also the best way, in my opinion, to expand and open more is to have a leader that you are like really building up at that first location that's going to move on or open location too. And again, that's my experience. If other people have done it in another way, definitely open to hearing other ways of doing it. But I found that that's the way that I, I think works best. So yeah, big failure there and end up having to close a couple down and my strongest locations left standing. But it's because, again, lack of duplicating leaders. So that was a major learning lesson for me. Have you experienced that at all, Matt? Is that something that you ever went through too? Yeah. Yes. I, I inherently understood that really early on. When, when you think about scaling and growing, what you want to think about scaling and growing is culture, right? And this is something that I, I've taught from day one and because I've just seen it. And one of the things that I like to learn from is the mistakes of other people. I think that's something that I've always done. And I, I was looking at how people were growing gyms and I was like, okay, they try to grow a gym and they, they hire a manager. And then they're, they're always, the second gym never was like the first gym. And then the third gym sure as heck was never like the second gym. And, and one of the things that I would caution all our listeners to is just because you have a lot of gyms does not mean they are successful. It does not mean that they are profitable. It does not mean that they are giving a good experience. So don't get caught up in the number of gyms people have. Get caught up in the success of the gyms. Get caught up in the culture of those gyms because that is the hardest thing to duplicate because you're not just duplicating systems. Yeah, you can give a leader or a manager like, hey, this is how we do things, but it's also having the right person. So the only way to really grow culture is that person has to be inside of that culture, right? They have to experience because culture is a feeling. It is not... It is not a uh, core values on a piece of paper. It is not a vision statement. It is something that you have to feel and then live and then transfer to other people. How do you transfer something that you've never felt before? So all of my gyms have always grown internally. And I've always said, we're trying to grow culture. Now, the biggest mistake to your point was not equipping people to be ready to be not a leader, but a manager. And this is the number, like one thing that I see is a lot of people are like, oh, I need leaders. I need leaders. I need leaders. Leadership is way easier than management. You need people that are good with managing people. And the key is they have to want to manage people. 
Not that they want the title of leader. Do you truly want to manage people? Because what you're managing is their states. Do you want to do that on a daily basis? Because managing people and being a good manager is much different than being a good leader. And I've, I've really found that where my locations have fallen off is elevating people that are not equipped or ready to manage people. They're great on the mats. They're great at expanding the culture and, and, and providing energy. And they're passionate about what we're doing, but they're not equipped and they're not good at managing people. And that's where things start to really get toxic and, and bad. And that's typically where me and my leadership team have to go in and step in because they've been doing a bad job as managers of that location. And that is something that we're, we're always working on. We do monthly leadership meetings with our management team and, and give them management training all the time. But that is the number one thing that I feel like most people aren't equipped to do is to go in and manage people, especially if they've never done it before. Love it. All right, man. That's all very, very, very good stuff. And like you said, it is two different things, managing and leading. And you got to switch between the two. You know, you, you got to know what does this person need from me at this time? you got somebody who's in a good place. They're in a good state. They're doing a great job. You can lead them. But then sometimes you need some more accountability. You need to have tough talks. You need to correct somebody. And now you need to manage them. Right. And so it's kind of like a continuum. And you're kind of reading on each person who needs what for me at this time and going in and doing those things. So I love that. And just so we're clear, like I know what it takes to be a good manager, but I suck as a manager, I think I have massive skill traits as a visionary. Dustin, I know you're a visionary. And when we try to put ourselves in positions to be managers, like we're not able to be consistent at the level that we need to be. And, and when you can't be consistent, you start losing trust, right? And, and when you start losing that, that trust, then you start losing the ability uh, to lead people. Because at the foundation of being able to um, you know, lead people, uh, effectively or manage people, there has to be trust. And I, I've definitely, it's not one of my biggest mistakes, but it's in there. It was on the list that it didn't make it, but it's coming to light. Like you should never do anything you can't be consistent with because the minute you can't be consistent with something, you lose trust and then you lose the ability to actually uh, lead people and manage people and bring them to where you want to bring them. I love it. That is one of the Tweetables, one-liners of the episode. You should never do something you can't be consistent with. I love that. Um, all right, Matt, let's go to one of yours on your list. Yes, you'll like this one. So short-term solutions equal long-term pain. Short-term pain equals long-term solutions. And, and really what that means for me is being able to make decisions based off what's right versus the optics of it, right? How are people going to feel? Being a people pleaser. So when we make decisions to temporarily make people happy or try to make decisions that we think are going to go over the easiest because we want to have no pain when we make a decision and we want everybody to be happy, we actually create long-term dysfunction inside of our organization. And that even goes back to the being consistent part, right? Mm -hmm. A lot of times we try to create these solutions that are going to instantly make things better, but maybe we can't be consistent with them or they're actually a detriment to the long-term success of our business, but temporarily it raises money. Temporarily it makes people happy, but long-term it's, it's not the right decision. So really when you make decisions, one of the biggest things for me is do it for the right reasons. Do it because it aligns with your beliefs and your values, 
not because you're trying to please other people or if I just say it this way, then people will get on board. But guess what? People eventually find out the, the real reasons why you said what you said anyways, and eventually they will hold it against you, which is one of my, my later ones. So do things for the right reasons. Don't do it for optics. And for me, that is honestly one of the biggest definitions of are you a great leader? Are you willing to do the hard things and suffer the temporary short-term pain in order to have the, the long-term gain? So that is my number two. Okay. Well, I think my number three is going to be a spinoff of that. And that is that I made the mistake and, and learn from it. And that is changing things too often in my business. And I think, again, when you, the way you say it is probably the, the reasoning behind it. You know, oh, if we just change our offer to this, guys, we'll make some more quick sales this month. And it's like, well, what are we doing? What's the long term? What are we doing for the next 10 years? You know, like, what are we doing? You know, uh, and what is the reason for this change? And the reason this is a failure is because it stressed my team out. I'm very quick, adaptable. I could change things today and I'd be fine with it. It wouldn't even bother me. Uh, you check my heart rate, it wouldn't even go up. But I had to learn about, you know, different personality types and where it was really eye-opening as I dug deeper into the disc profile and that, you know, I rank a certain way. And my teammates rank a different way. And one of them that, you know, is very common on, on a team and it's one of the, the highest types of people that is out there is steadiness and conscientiousness and like people who like sameness They're like I, i'm variety driven and like there's so many people that are just like i like when things are routine and the same and there isn't all these changes and so a big failure but learning lesson for me was learning that what works for me doesn't work for the whole team to to kind of be open that there's other personality types and learning how to work with them so that you can be the best gel team and learning to stick with something long term even if it's not going well, maybe it's just for a period. Like, do you have just one slow week and then immediately you're hitting the panic button? We got to change the ad. It's like, can you not like last one week of it not going great to, you know, to see it through and see if it might get better on the other side. But I think a lot of times we're responding to that quick pain and we're just slapping band-aids on these very surface level cuts when you need to think like, what's the surgery that's going to help me live longer? What's the long-term thing that's going to help me stay afloat for years to come? Not how am I going to get to this next week or month? But it's challenging because I know, again, for a lot of gym owners, if they're financially in a tough spot, they think they got to move quick and that that's going to be what's going to get them uh, to their next month. But it's about backing up. And, you know, did you put some strategy thinking into it? Or did you just copy what somebody else did? And, you know, that's how your strategy is, is just flying by the seat of your pants. Uh, so the big learning lesson was like, I had to get better at strategy to the point where even now I have the whole year of our marketing plan planned already. Like, because number one, just repetition, my 11th year as a gym owner, I know what's worked and what's not worked. And I could sit down, I could plan it out. I know the pricing, the dates, you know, the details, everything. But uh, when I was flying by the seat of my pants, changing it week by week, month by month, it stressed out the team. It's probably stressed me out a little bit, but that's a huge failure that I look back at and say, man, I know I've really ran some people into the ground and caused them to have a stressed out life because of that. So that's a, that's a big one for me. What about for you, Matt? Honestly, that's massive. I, I'm in the same boat as you. So if we look at personality types, we use DISC. I'm a D. 3% of the population is a D. There's only 16% of the population that's actually an entrepreneur. 
runs a business, right? So we're all wired way different than somebody that wants to, to be an employee and starting to really understand the dynamics of your team. And the complexity of this gets so every location you add adds complexity to what Dustin was just saying. It's it's one thing when you're a single location owner and you can make up for a lot of stuff and you can take on a lot of the workload to, to make up for those quick changes. But the minute you start going to multiple locations, the slower that you need to move and the, the more you need to be strategic about how you communicate change and really making sure. So there's there's well, we're going to do a podcast on uh, talking about how to communicate change because change is, I, I think, biggest in the fitness industry with, with everything going on and the impact of change. For example, if a team member were to leave, that's massive change inside of your organization, massive change in how that affects people mentally. But when you're communicating change effectively, a lot of us, when we're going so fast, we think we're communicating, but we're really not communicating. We're not communicating what our team actually needs to hear either. We're hearing what we need to hear. We're hearing, hey, if we do this thing, this is going to have this impact on our business because we're results-driven individuals, but they don't actually care about that, right? They care about how does this affect me and what they need to do, and they start going all these what-ifs. So before you make any changes, you need to have a clear plan of action and clearly communicating and give them plenty of time to be able to get that information before they have to, to take action, right? Because now you've put them in a bad state and now they need to go put on a rock, uh, rock star uh, session in front of clients. They're going to struggle with that. So I 100% agree. I'm very similar uh, to you in that front of trying to move too quick solves the immediate problem, but it creates a downstream problem that is way bigger than whatever you were trying to solve on the front end. Yeah. And and as you know, a guy that also ranks high D, we're very what driven, like what we're changing the ad, uh, we're changing the, the, you know, the client experience, we're changing the programming, whatever, like this is what we're doing when the rest of the population thinks how and why. And if you don't put that into your communication, so I'm glad we're going to hit that on a future episode, um, you kind of just skip For over. For us, it's just a task, right? It's just yeah. something that we have to do yep. and we go do it and we move on. It, it, it takes no mental energy for us, but it takes up a ton of mental energy uh, for your team uh, that, that causes downstream effects, especially when you don't do it strategically and, and be able to be proactive with your communication and be able to get out in front of all the things that, that your team may have concerns or issues with so that when you deliver it to them, they're like, okay, this is all buttoned up and we're all on the same page. That gives them that consistency and that stability uh, that they they require. And this will actually bring into to one of my points of, of being the CEO is, you know, there, there's recipe builders and there is bakers inside of your organization. And and really understanding too who needs to know what and when do they need to know it and who's involved in what based on on their personality types has been a, a big learning lesson. I think moving on to number three for me is not addressing problems soon enough. You could tie it back into number two, but this has just been something that has had a bit big impact in my life, and also I see it every day working with fitness entrepreneurs and just leadership in general is. When there is an issue, address it immediately. When there is a friction point in your business, address it immediately. And don't just send out an email or a text. I'm the king of not wanting to talk to you. I'm the king of like, I just want to send out the email or the text. 
But the problem is a lot of that can get lost in translation, right? Um, being able to get on the phone, get in person, belly to belly, or get on a Zoom as quick as humanly possible, I, I think is really, really important because again, when we look at personality types, if I personally just give you a directive, I don't mean anything by it, but they could see it as rude. They could see it as mean. They could see it as inconsiderate, right? So 69% of the population is, is what is considered an S. And one of the biggest pet peeves for them is when they feel like people are being inconsiderate, insensitive, right? And guess what I come across as? Inconsiderate and not sensitive whatsoever. So and then that can be perceived that in an email, that can be perceived in a text versus in person, I, I come across as not that, right? So being able to, to communicate, get on the same page, really understand what the real issues are, because oftentimes what people express is the issue is actually not the issue. It's like in sales, people give you an objection, but it's not the real objection. And then you're trying to solve for the wrong objection. And then you finally solve it. And then they give you another one, right? Versus going, hey, if we were able to figure this out, is there anything else preventing you from moving forward? Now, now they can't. So can we get to the real reason why somebody's upset or having an issue or what the real problem is? And the only way to do that is to ask questions listen, dig in deeper for the real reason. And then you can actually solve the real problem and be able to move on. So stuff that I could solve in a 10 minute phone call would take two to three weeks of back and forth via email and text because I was just too big of a wuss or was too busy. Uh, if you guys are watching, uh, not on, uh, not watching this on YouTube, I'm using quotation marks, too yes. busy to do because that's the excuse. I'm too busy to get on the phone. I'm too busy to get a meeting with somebody. I'm too busy to hop on a Zoom. But again, that temporary pain for long-term gain, because when you don't address issues immediately, they come into big problems, big issues, and you're going to wish you took the 10, 15, 20 minutes to solve it the right way and get it over with. Because here's the deal. As an entrepreneur, a lot of us can compartmentalize what we need to do, right? Like, it's like, hey, this stuff's going on, but I got these other tasks to do and I'm not even going to worry about that. But for them, it's the most important thing in their entire life. And they're thinking about it all day long. And that is the last thing that you want them to be doing when they hold the keys to your entire business. So solve those problems as quick as humanly possible. Get on the phone, belly to belly, Zoom as soon as it happens. And I promise you, your life is going to be way better. You're going to have way happier teammates that provide a way better product uh, to your clients and you're going to have a better business. Love it. Love it. Yes. That's a huge one. Again, I know a lot of people are afraid of being indirect, but there's even a story in my book where I was talking to a gym owner who had more of a big box gym and people weren't re-racking the plates. So how did he try to solve it? He put a sign by the barbell rack saying, remember to re-rack your plates. And they didn't do it. And then he gets on the megaphone on the you know speaker system. Hey, hey members, please you know put your plates up. Uh, and then they still didn't. And then he sends an email blast to all the members. Hey, guys, when you're in the you know rack, make sure to rack your plates. And so I chuckled and I finally said, did you ever go and try to talk to the people directly? And he's like, oh, no, you know, that that's not, you know, me. And I you know, I had a coaching session with him, basically told him like, this is the only way it's going to get fixed. And, you know, it's a great story because it, whether it's a, a, a headed client or it's a team member not doing things, or there's a tiff between team members, 
it will not go away until you fix it. So how long do you want it to exist is completely in your hands. And so I love that message, Matt. And, that's and, a, and addressing to your point too, it's like addressing the people that are actually the problem. I've seen it. I've done it multiple times too, is a lot of us can be more, uh, have more candor in a group environment than, than we do one-on-one. So we address everybody. But the, the problem is that the person that's actually the problem doesn't realize you're talking about them. Yes. You're like, I'm communicating and they're not listening, right? Versus if there's probably 5% of the people that not, were not re-racking their rates, if they were to just go to that 5% of people not putting their weights away, the, the problem would have been solved because the 95% that were listening, right? They they were doing what they were supposed to be doing yeah. was the 5% because they're not hearing your communication because they don't think it's a problem. They don't think it's an issue or they're like, they're clearly not talking about me. And, and they are talking about you, right? So being able to address that person too that you're having an issue with, I, I think is massively important. That's the difference between direct and indirect coaching. Indirect is, hey guys, and direct is, I need to talk to you one-on-one. So yeah, I think that's huge. All right, we're going to go to number four for me. Also a people problem, which is our running theme. And that is promoting people because of seniority, or I you know, maybe got along with them really well. And so- uh, you're crossing that off. That was on yours too. Okay. So uh, basically they just been with us three years and I want to see them do better. And so I just want to thank them by moving them up, but they're an awful fit for that role that I'm trying to fill. And so seniority doesn't mean nothing. And so a lot of times I talk to a gym owner and they're like, this coach is a rock star. They made me two years and I'm getting ready to make them the, the manager or the head coach. And, and so I have to, you know, kind of like share my filter down to them, which is just because they've been there a while. That's the only reason. Like, what is the role they're in and what is the role they're stepping into? If they are light years apart, no, do not do that. Let me save you some headache. And so, again, we brought that up earlier, like the ego of a bigger title. In fact, I even had coaches tell me, I, you know, I'm just a coach. You know, can I get a different title like now that I'm doing this because they had another side project? I was like, no, we don't do ego titles. Like that, it, it, it's a project that's going to get completed and then go away. Like we're not making a whole new title for it. So that's a, a mistake that I had. So um, don't promote because you're friends with them. Don't promote because they've been on the team a long time. Promote because they're the right fit for the role. And that should force you to get ultra clear on what is the role requiring of them. And then completely cold interview them. They're a cold person that walked in. They should go through an interview process. They should be vetted. And it should not just be you to make the final call as well. You need to have other eyes and other perspectives. So that's my fourth one for you, Matt. It looks like you have similarities. <laughs> yeah. So I'm, I'm writing down notes so I don't interrupt you because I'm the king of interrupting. Um, in EOS, which we both run in EOS, they, they talk about the people analyzer and really making sure you're getting the right people in the right seats. So right people, do they live your core values? But the right seats, uh, something called get it, want it, and have the capacity to do it. So capacity is, is the innate in them that they just get it. Like they're born that they could do this type of position. And then the want is, one, do they, they want it, but do they want it for the right reasons, right? When, it, when we first started, I talked about the difference between leaders and managers. A lot of people want that title, but do you want to manage people? Do you want the obligations that are required to be a leader and be a manager, not just the status? Human beings make decision off status. Does this elevate me with my peer group? It sounds really good to go tell your friends that I'm the manager, I'm the 
the head this or the head that or whatever title that that you want. But ultimately, if you're putting people in those positions and they don't get it, they don't want it, and they don't have the capacity to actually do what you're asking them to do, you are setting them up for failure. And eventually, they're not going to be doing a good job. Eventually, they're going to be in a negative state, right? And you're going to have people issues and people problems inside of your organization. And you're going to be frustrated. They're going to be frustrated. And one of the keys to, to keeping team members long-term and keeping them happy is keeping them in their sweet spot. Their sweet spot might be a coach. There might not be another position for them, but if you take them out of their sweet spot just to promote them and make them happy and, and again, temporarily make that person happy, you're going to have long-term issues inside of your business. So make sure that you're, you're elevating people for the right reasons. Right now, we're making a lot of transitions inside of our gyms, and we, we had to have that conversation with our team. As a leadership team, we have the duty and the obligation to get the right people in the right seats on the bus. And, and it doesn't matter how long you've been here. If you are not the right person in the right seat, you will not be promoted to that position. And it is our job. And you guys want us to be doing that because if we do a bad job with this, then we're going to have downstream effects that are going to massively affect our clients and massively affect every single person on this team. So again, going back to doing things for the right reason, put people in the right seats on the bus for the right reasons. And even though temporarily it might make people upset long-term, it's what's right for the business long-term. And your job as the CEO of your business is to do what's right by your business. And, and back to you know your previous learning lesson, which is being direct. I do think if you choose that this person's not a good fit, you should be direct and explain it to them and just say that, you know, here's why, and here's what the job entails. And I didn't see those strengths. And so that that's why I want to be completely open and honest, because otherwise, you know, again, they might have resentment, they might be upset, there was no explanation, you just got this other person into what I thought I was going to be getting. And so again, that's a part of being direct. And it's the the tough part of being a business owner, right? You got to have those tough talks, whether they're um, corrective or even just explanations and clarifying, you know, they're both going to be tough. Um, and that starts with you being clear on what's the rules and responsibilities for that person, right? Yes. A lot of people just go, I need a manager and they don't go, okay, what are the rules and responsibility of this manager going to be? And then does this person get to want to have the capacity to do those roles and responsibilities, not do the title? Yes. All right. What's another one on your list? All right. This one's hard to admit, um, but I think a lot of people make this mistake. Whatever is said in the dark will eventually see the light. Whatever is said in the dark will eventually see the light. And uh, Bedros, one of our, our mentors, he said, eventually everybody goes lame. And at first I'm like, man, that's a little rough. That's a little, uh, that doesn't hit right with me, but it, it's true. People are loyal until they're not loyal. So there, there was often times in my business where I would have conversations and, and I might talk about other team members or I might talk about different issues. And, you know, ultimately it's a private conversation. And then that person either leaves or eventually things go wrong and you have to fire them. And then, dear God, everything that you've said in the dark will come, come to light. Patrick Beck David, who's uh, an awesome leader, I think he's got an awesome podcast. He has a book called uh, Your Next Five Moves. And one of the things that he said, because he made this mistake too, was whenever you are talking about another teammate to another teammate, make it positive because that will eventually make the light, right? 
you want whatever is making light to be positive. So in the past, I used to be very open and candid. So the feedback that I get from people is they love that I'm so open and candid and direct until it's not okay. And, and when it's not okay is, is when they leave, when it's not okay is when you've had to have a tough conversation with them or you've had to let them go. Now, everything you say will be used against you. Just think about it. When you're leading people, just think eventually everything I say will come to light. Is what I'm saying right now to my team member, if another team member heard about that, how would they feel about that? If a client heard me talking about them in a certain way, how would they feel about that? If we're using a certain marketing tactic, and this used to happen to me, especially when I tried to be a people pleaser and try to message things in a way or try to like use some tactics to make people feel a certain way about something, the, the team would be on board because it'd have the effect that they want. But then eventually when that person comes disgruntled, they're like, oh, Matt's a liar or, oh, they do this, but they don't really mean that and da, 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 right? Which causes massive, massive issues. So it all starts with just being clear on your values, your beliefs, and being true to you and doing things for the right reasons, then you don't have to worry about what comes to light. But everything in the dark will see the day of light. Just remember that when you are communicating about anybody, when you're in front of anybody and talking about anybody, make sure that you're speaking positively so that what comes to light is positive things and, and provides good energy to, to people and, and doesn't think negatively about you. And well, it will lead into my fifth point here in just a second, but just curious to see what you have to say about that one. No, I mean, I, I think that that is a, a way someone should just operate even not in business, you know, like that you should really opt to have, you know, nothing but good things to say. And that if you do have corrective stuff, you're being direct and you're going to that person and handling it with them. And so if you do feel like you have to have a talk with a team leader or somebody on your team about a team that is not, you know, like a, whether it's behavior, they're not getting things done. It should be all with the vein of solutions and saying, well, what are we going to do? What are the action steps? Let's not just sit and talk about it. To me, that's the definition of gossip is when you talk about yeah. a problem without people who have the ability to control it. And if you talk to someone who can change it, now you're being action oriented, you know, but if someone comes to you and they just complain like, you know, oh man, it sucks. We got to do this. I'm just complaining and gossiping. But if I go to the boss and I say, why are we doing this? What, you know, can we, can we do this? I have this idea. Now I'm talking to someone that has the power to change things and that's being more solution oriented. Right. So like, uh, I love that. And, and part of where this came to was uh, the circle of trust. I, I think as you elevate, it needs to get smaller and smaller and smaller. Mm -hmm. Right. And uh, really, who can you have tough conversations with? So everyone needs a sounding board in some capacity, right? Absolutely. And the issue is that the sounding board needs to be smaller and smaller and smaller and people that, that you trust. So my sounding board used to be my entire leadership team. It used to be uh, the location managers. I would talk to some of them about different issues and problems going on. And again, it was fine until it wasn't fine. Right. And what I've learned is my circle of trust is now it's my wife and my brother. I can tell them anything. I can complain about anything. I can, and it's never going to be used against me in any capacity. Now, what I have learned is I'll, if I have an issue with anybody on my, my leadership team or some things are frustrating me, I talk to my integrator and then they're able to, to help manage that. And then vice versa, if we're having issues with facility managers, then I'm open to talking about it with, with my leadership team, 
and, and vice versa. If there's an issue with a team member, I think it's okay to, obviously you need to inform the, the facility manager what's going on so that they can handle it. But just realizing that the line of communication and who you're talking about a problem with and about, I think is is, is massively important. But you as the, the, the CEO, like who you can say negativity to becomes less and less and less and less unless you want to be able to, it can create cancer inside of your organization very, very quickly when you say yeah, the, the wrong thing to the wrong person. So just be very careful to, to know the impact of your words, eventually see the light. And really, if you're being strategic, make sure that the, the words that are coming to light are, hey, whenever I'm about Matt, he's talking positively about every single teammate and talking positively about clients and talking positive about things that are going on so that really your team starts to define who you are as a leader. The people below you start to define who you are as a leader. And, and I think we need to really realize that, that impact. Love it. All right. Well, uh, I'm going to go to my fifth, and that is not knowing the value of searching. And so what I mean by that is we all know on the screen that that loading, you know, kind of thing. It's like, when's it going to load? When's it going to load? And me being a fast decision maker, quick action taker, uh, I think that there's been moments where I was quick to make a decision just to get it off my plate. Like, there's, you know, like, what are we doing? Let's just do this. Let's just do that. And like, um, what should I do about this situation? Let's do that. I think there's value in waiting and, and searching for the answer. And so there's, there's, it's a tough call because you have to build those instincts of what is a problem that I can make a quick decision. And when do I need to say, no, I just simply need time. And you don't know, here's the hard part is like, you don't know how much time it'll take. It could be a day, it could be a week, it could be a month, it could be a year until you find the answer. But I used to pressure myself that, you know, speed is king, we got to go quick, we got to, you know, what, what, what are we deciding here? And there's certain things that you honestly shouldn't, you know, and so I think that one of the learning lessons I want to pass on here is it's okay to be searching, be in that loading kind of mode on big decisions and, and give yourself grace if it takes time. And it might be, should I hire this person? That should not be a quick, you know, like they've been with me two, here, two years. Okay, they're the head coach. Like, hey, I heard entrepreneurs, business owners should be fast decision makers. Well, that one is going to bite you in the butt. Let the searching and the loading kind of be there for a month, uh, however long you need, two months. Make sure it's the right one. And then, you know, you're going to really see better residual effects come from it. It could have been searching for my next mentor. Like it could have been, you know, like, hey, I see all these, you know, mentors I can work with, but for whatever reason, they just don't feel like what I need right now. I'm going to keep searching, right? Who's my next hire? How should I change things, you know, for the better? Uh, th there's, it's okay to be in, a, in, in that mode and it can feel uncomfortable and it can make you feel like at edge and have anxiety. But I just want to let you guys know, like there's value in it. And most of the time when it was a big decision, I slept on it and I thought about it and I talked to peers about it. And I did some research on it. When I finally did make the decision, it, it was like the, the best decision I could have made because I put so much energy into it. I think we skip over the energy of thinking and creating clarity and getting other people's opinions like that is work in itself, you know. And so that's something that I didn't do. I was the quick like, let's do this. Let's do that. You guys come to me with a problem. I got a solution for you in a matter of seconds. And I think that, you know, there's big initiatives, you know, that take time to build out, you know, and so you got to be okay that you're going to be, you know, searching for that for a while and that shouldn't cause you anxiety. So that that's my, my fifth and final one, man, a little bit more philosophical, but uh, it has been a big one for me. 
I, I think obviously with that one, there, there's nuance, right? Some things can be decided quickly and some people will use what you just said to, I'm I'm thinking about it I'm to, to not, not make a decision. They, they already know what the decision needs to be made, but they're trying to find this magical insight that is going to, you know, make this, this big difference, right? So when you're making a big decision, I think waiting, especially knowing that it's based on logic and not emotion, uh, for me is, is massively important. And then getting the input from the people that your decision affects, meaning when we run a campaign, sometimes I don't think through the, the lens of like our directors who have to do all the onboarding and do uh, sending out the emails and, and handling the clients coming in, right? I'm thinking through the lens of marketing and getting people through the doors. And I'm not thinking through the lens of how does this affect every single coach? What do they need to know? How do I need to prepare them, et cetera, right? So that's why I love my leadership team is I actually surrounded my, my leadership team with pretty much everybody is high C's except for one person. Uh, so they are the the details people, right? They want the the eyes eyes dotted, the T's crossed, which is good. They they make me slow down and they think through all the areas that maybe I'm not thinking through. And they're like, uh, the, the great thing about them is I used to have people on my leadership team and other people around me in my inner circle that would always be like, no, we can't do that. And this is the reason why we can't do that. And and that's frustrating, right? Versus going. Hey, it's a really great idea. I think we should do it, but we need to put some more time into to X, Y, and Z. So they're saying yes, but let's get these things in order in order to be able to do those things, uh, which I, I think is really important. So we are the idea people. We are the problem solvers, and and, and really, it's just this is what needs to get done. Where they start thinking about the the what and the how and the who, and, and really getting all that in place, so that when we do do it. It is highly effective, which I think is important, which goes to my fifth point, which is really understanding my role and impact as a CEO inside of a business. And one of the things that I had to learn, and and sometimes I still learn this, is there's only one CEO in your business. That means there is only one of you. Everyone else is a team member. Everyone else doesn't have the ultimate control inside of the business. So the, the loyalty, it's kind of like the military. People in the military are loyal to each other. They are fighting on the front lines for each other. They are battling for each other. They're not necessarily battling for the United States of, of America. Like it, there's been many interviews and, and studies on this of people. It's like, why are you willing to take a bullet, right? They're like, I'm willing to take a bullet for my brother or my sister. Like people on the front lines. And it's the same thing. So really understanding my effect on the, as a CEO to, to our team members, realizing that they don't feel like I am one of them. No matter how hard you try from a relationship standpoint, you are the boss, you are the one, you know, providing the directive. So I've learned that how things and what gets messaged to the team is really important and who's messaging it to the team. And I came to a realization one time uh, we were in a meeting and the team always gets upset if I come up with anything last minute. If I come up and I dump anything last minute on them, it is it is a downstream effect that lasts multiple weeks. But I found that if a team member, I, I, I delegate a lot of initiatives to team members. And that means that they're the ones saying, team, we need to do X, Y, and Z. 
And I found when they would come to a meeting and they would be like, guys, we missed this and we need to do this and we need it tomorrow. The team like, okay, we got to get this done tomorrow. I'm like, if I did that, my goodness, my inbox would be full with complaints and issues and hearing about it uh, well after the fact, because it's me. I'm the, I'm the CEO of the business. So I found that a lot of the messaging comes way better when it comes from, from other team members. And it comes from a different place. It, it feels more like we versus Matt is telling us what to do, which uh, I found fascinating. Then I also found that I shouldn't be in every single meeting. I should only be in meetings with my leadership team. So what was happening was I was running the meetings for our location leaders. And in those meetings, we would discuss different initiatives that were happening and we'd try to get their feedback and we would try to bake the recipe with the, the, the facility leaders. And all that ended up doing was causing confusion. It caused chaos in their mind. It felt like things weren't, you know, baked. And, you know, my personality is I'm a DC challenger. So when people give advice or feedback, I will challenge why they think the way that they think, which then what happens over time is they just don't say anything because they don't want to, to be challenged. And people would be leaving those meetings in a negative state. Me, I'm like, it was a meeting. We, we accomplished what we needed. We got the results that we wanted. And I was fine. I went on to the next task that I needed to do, but the team wasn't fine. Right. So I have found that my job as a CEO is I need to position myself where I can only put my team in positive states. So when we do all team trainings, every couple of months we shut down, we do all team trainings. I educate, I teach, I motivate, and I inspire. Like, so whenever they're, they're around me, like I am an energy source for them of positivity. And that puts us in a, in, in a great light. When I'm in a location, I see everything that is wrong. Like I can see everything that is wrong. And I used to let people know like, hey, this is dirty. This needs to get fixed. This wasn't right. The sound doesn't seem right, right? So then when I walk in, I'm just negativity. So I've learned that when I go into a facility or I'm around team members, it's all positivity. I send them emails. I send them positive feedback. Like, hey, you did an amazing job today. Da, 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 da. I go to the facility leader. I go to my leadership team and I go, this shit needs to get fixed. I don't say that to the coaches. I don't say that to anyone. It's positivity. So it's still knowing that these things need to get fixed. These things are wrong inside of the business, but it's who I'm expressing it to knowing how that affects them is massively important. So me positioning myself in a positive lane, I'll give you one more example, is we were doing our domination workshop and there was an owner here with their, their facility manager and she was doing their uh, their weekly meetings at the teams. And the reason why she was doing the weekly meetings with the teams is because she wanted the team to build relationships with the team and be present and that she values them because she's there. And what was happening, she has the exact same personality as me. And she's like, I always ask the team for feedback, but they never give me any feedback. And I was like, this is why exactly what I just described. And her facility manager was right next to me, shaking her head. And I said, you would be better off having your normal leadership meetings and then having her tell the team, this is the initiative. This is what we're doing. This is what we're working on. This is what we need from you, right? Because now it's coming from a peer and, and not from the, the CEO of the business who feels like they're talking down on them and this is what we need to do.
So I've really had to understand what is my role as the CEO and how do I get my message across that has the greatest impact on my team in a positive state, which then actually makes it way more impactful and doesn't create the negativity and the cancer that can uh, follow after when you don't put yourself in those positions. And the last piece of that is a lot of people go through life not intentional about how they show up. You as a CEO have to be intentional about how you enter every meeting, how you enter every single room, every interaction with clients. What is the outcome and the feeling that you want to produce with the people that you are around? You have to be intentional because all it takes is one time of not being intentional and causing a negative downstream effect on your organization. That can be draining, but that that is why you're at the tip of the spear. That is why it's hard, right? Is because that is the expectation. That's what it's required to be elite is how intentional are you in every meeting? How intentional are you in every interaction? Because how people feel about you ultimately matters. Because that is what they're telling teammates. That is what they're telling clients. And your reputation as a CEO of a multi-location business, your reputation is whatever your team says about you. That is your reputation inside of that business. So make sure when you show up for your team, you're putting yourself in the position to win and then be able to make sure that you're still being effective. You're still getting things done that need to get done but it doesn't have to come from you. And that is how you elevate to becoming an elite CEO inside of your business. Love it. Can't think of a better way for us to wrap up. And guys, again, I know that we went through a lot of failures here between me and Matt, we shared 10. And those are just us even having a hard time coming up with just our five because we had a longer list. Um, And this is the type of value you guys can expect on this podcast. So I hope that we really blew your guys' minds and gave you a lot of learning lessons. If you didn't take notes, definitely go back and listen to this again, because these are the actionable things that are going to really change your business. We think it's the big, crazy marketing scheme. We think it's the better sales process. It's a lot of times starting with the leader. In fact, it's almost all the time starting with the leader that if you change, you improve, then it'll trickle down into the business. And that's where the growth will happen. So that's what we want to help you guys with. And that's the whole purpose behind the Fitness Empire podcast. So we're fired up, Matt, right? We're going to do this, create more hope for the fitness industry and change it to a better place for everybody that's involved, the clients, the gym owners, the team members, everybody. We want to have a massive impact on them, correct? Yes, sir. If you guys got value, please like it. Please share, leave your feedback. We want to spread this mission because when we spread this mission, we are going to change even more lives together. And we look forward to being on this mission with every single one of you. All right, guys, we'll see you on the next episode. Bye.